and then coming into a world where you're being scrutinized for what you look like, which has nothing to do with your function, your body's function or who you are as a person, it's purely aesthetic. That's really bizarre to me and it was really hard. It's really heartwarming to be able to come into work when I'm in such bad pain or carrying a hot water bottle and those who know I have it or also have it will just go, oh, I'm sorry, you're having a bad day. Can I get you something? Can I help you? Have you tried this doctor? Have you? Because at least that gives you a hope of something. And yes, you don't feel alone. Hey everyone, from Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a series where we chat to women doing brilliant things in the wellness space. I'm Features Editor Alex Davies. When we recorded this episode, my guest Sophie Dillman was holding a hot water bottle to her stomach. The Home and Away Star is one of approximately 176 million women around the world who have endometriosis. This condition occurs where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus is found in other parts of the body, most often in the pelvis, and it can affect the reproductive organs. Symptoms can include bloating, bleeding, tiredness and pain around periods, during sex and going to the bathroom. Some women have no symptoms at all. Others struggle all the time. Many suffer in silence because of the misunderstanding, misdiagnosis and lack of awareness around this complex condition that affects one in ten women. That's why Sophie became an ambassador for Endometriosis Australia, to try and help women just like her. We sat down, hot water bottle and all, to talk about her endo journey, the summer bay sisterhood, how she cultivates self-love and the power of a good workout. Sophie Dillman, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) So you had a bit of a short commute today because Women's Health is based at the same place where Home and Away is. Have you been filming today? What are the plans today? Yes, actually, we have a really big week. We're running two studios. Uh, So I've been here since six and I've done two... 15 hour days before this so I'm trooper <laughs> I'm right in the thick of it <laughs> so you've been on the show is it for three years now just over yeah how do you reflect on that does it feel like it's flown by does it feel like that long it definitely feels like it's flown by but it kind of feels like a dream at the same time I my character has been through so much and this is my first acting gig so when I got the call to get the gig and start working I was on cloud nine and I just feel like I haven't gotten off yet it's (laughs) awesome especially when you're filming places like Summer Bay and Palm Beach obviously and things like it's absolutely gorgeous oh it's so beautiful and it really is some of the I've never seen some of the locations like that before even at the caravan park the bushland is so beautiful we did I've done some incredible away shoots in the middle of nowhere where I've seen parts of Australia I'd never seen before so it's a dream come true <laughs> I always remember one of my favorite throwbacks when I first came here and I went out to Palm Beach and I got the hat the Summer Bay hat typical Brit and yeah people just love it don't they oh Absolutely. We had two bus tour loads yesterday afternoon that came up and everyone's in the hat carrying the summer bay sign, (laughs) all got their passes out, all singing the song you can hear from the bus as they're coming up the road. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. So obviously you were saying that this was your first acting gig and I know you were a nurse beforehand, which I don't know if a lot of people know, but Mm. that's what a transition. That's huge. (laughs) How did that come about? Well, I I always wanted to act. But I come from a family full of medical professionals and if they're not medical professionals, they're lawyers. So coming to them and saying you want to act was 
a bit interesting. My parents essentially said I had to do something realistic first. And it's not that I'm not interested in medical stuff. I am. I still really like all that side of things. Um, So I did nursing straight out of school. Uh, And when I graduated nursing, it actually just so happened that the Queensland government had cut a lot of funding from healthcare. So no nursing graduates were getting positions or something like 10% ended up getting a graduate position. So I knew I had to study again. And I just sort of Googled whether I had an acting school option and QUT in Brisbane was the had their auditions coming in a week and I just signed up and went for it and got really lucky and got in. So I worked as a nurse throughout my acting school and then I've used nursing as a form of funding, I guess, until I got this job and I've loved it. It's been great. Oh, wow. Doing the nursing alongside your training for your acting as well. That's Good prep, I guess, for the long hours, the intensity of things? Absolutely. There are a number of times that I went from a night shift into a full day of acting school. But I suppose knowing that acting was my passion and that was what I needed to do, you sort of don't think about it. What was the biggest transition going from, you know, working in medicine to full-time on Home and Away, being in the spotlight as you are now? What was the biggest challenge for you in that sense? Oh, there was a lot. My, I, what I remember is when I got the job, I'd just been thrown up on at a nursing shift. So I was in the change rooms changing my scrubs and had a missed call from my agent saying, you've got a job on Home and Away. And you sort of like, I got that phone call and looked down that I was covered in vomit <laughs> and I was screaming and the doctors could hear me and they were yelling at me from the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I never have to come back here. So sort of, that was so bizarre. But I think after the transition, it's really weird to all of a sudden go from being someone that really is faceless, that is just helping others, to all of a sudden people noticing you and looking. I find it really bizarre still being in public and people staring at me because mm. you don't – that's not normal. Mm. Or So having people constantly watching you, calling out to you, that's – that's quite bizarre. Because I guess usually when you're walking down the street, if someone's staring at you who you don't know, your natural thing is, God, have I spilled coffee down my front? Have I got exactly. Have my I face? got snot coming yeah. out of my nose? The, exactly. Yeah. Having it be now, I suppose, a relatively regular occurrence, I don't think I'll ever get used to. <laughs> yeah. When this goes out, this is going to be um, March. And I know Sophie's also going to be in our magazine at the same time doing an interview with us. And something you spoke about to me for that interview was the sudden scrutiny, I guess, that you were under a lot more than you'd ever been used to before in terms of body image and things like that. And can you tell me a bit about that and that kind of experience, I guess? Yeah, I suppose the thing that you don't think about when you're training to be an actor is that public thing, or certainly it was something I never thought about. I love acting because I love creating the human connection. I love storytelling. I love understanding what other people are going through that's what drew me to acting I think and to an extent nursing and so when I worked as a nurse my purpose was to create the best functioning human body for whatever patient I have and to create a holistic approach to nursing where their well-being is good they're happy they're healthy because their body needs to function so that's how I sort of saw my body I guess and then coming into a world where you're being scrutinised for what you look like, which has nothing to do with your function, your body's function or who you are as a person. It's purely aesthetic. That's really bizarre to me and it was really hard. I've always wanted to be very confident in my skin and help others feel confident in themselves, but having 
people constantly comment on what you look like, whether it's good or bad, is very difficult to keep. It's very difficult to keep that positivity when that happens. Mm. I certainly would never be the type of person to comment negatively on someone's appearance ever. And I find it so odd that there are so many people that so easily do that to others Yeah. when you have no idea who they are. I remember the first time the Daily Mail put an article out on me. It was like, you know, first day on, at Summer Bay, your first day at the beach sort of thing. And I'd never done this before and I should have listened to the makeup artists when they said do not read anything that comes out in the media about you because it can be scary. Do not read any comments. But, of course, the first thing I did was went straight to the comments and someone said I had legs like a billiard table and I don't know whether anyone's seen a billiard table legs but they're like the really curvy things they have lots of indents and like all that sort of thing and I firstly I went that's a really odd comment but secondly you go oh god is that actually what I look like and it just you go through more comments and read more things whether they're positive or negative of what strangers say and that sent me so I was so stressed all of a sudden there's a pat that comes to the beach and all of a sudden every time he was around I was like, get a dressing gown over me, cover me with a surfboard. And then your whole acting focus becomes what you look like instead of actually your purpose, which is delivering your character and being there for your fellow actor and um, being respectful to the script. So I had to try to make a big change there. So I now do not read any of those comments ever. Mm. I tell my parents, my mum and dad read all of them, but I have flatly refused to let them tell me what they say. I don't look at any of my tagged images on Instagram or any social media thing. And actually the only other time I have done that was in a really horrible article about my chest. And um, I ended up writing a big response to Daily Mail over Instagram because I was so upset. I cried and cried for like a week. I called my publicist and cried to her. I called my parents. My boyfriend was sitting there with me for a week. So I think in short, you don't ever really get over that. You just have to manage it as best you can. And I guess it's finding strategies to bring that positivity, like you were saying, into your social media feed and make sure you engage with it in the most positive way you can, I guess. Absolutely, because... I certainly don't want anyone to feel like that. I would never want anyone to feel like that. So I hope that I can project an image that suggests that and suggests body confidence so everyone else feels the same way. Mm. And also uh, to have a healthy relationship with your social media so you you can encourage others to do the same. I suppose that's the only other way. Yeah, encourage some positive conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously a big part of the reason we're talking here today and we were talking about March being a really important month and it also is because it's endometriosis awareness month. Yeah. So, and that's a condition, a chronic condition that you struggle with yourself and you're actually an ambassador for endometriosis Australia, which is wonderful. And I'd love to know why that role and this cause is so important for you to get behind, for all of us to get behind. Well... I have endometriosis. I was diagnosed roughly seven years ago. I've had now three surgeries for 
endometriosis. And for those of you who don't know, essentially endometriosis is when the tissue that grows in the lining of your uterus grows outside of your uterus into your abdomen. And those cells obviously bleed and shed blood every month. So that happens all throughout your body and throughout your organs. And that causes your organs to stick together, your ovaries to stick to certain parts, scar tissue created, which is incredibly painful and can cause bloating, really heavy bleeding, pain and all sorts of different pain. You can And you can also get problems with eating certain foods, mental health issues, a lot of fertility issues, all that jazz. So... I have that and I've been managing that since my diagnosis seven years ago. And over the past sort of, I suppose, 18 months, it's been as the worst it's ever been for me. It gradually got worse over the past 12 months to the point where I had a surgery last December and I essentially crawled into my my gynecologist's office and cried to him until he put me under the knife because I couldn't function as a normal human being anymore. So about a month before that, I approached Endometriosis Australia on a really bad pain day because I figured if I was in this much pain, surely I wasn't the only one and surely I could do something to help others who are in this sort of pain. So um, Endo Awareness Month is March, so we're doing as much as we can to show the world that endometriosis is a really big problem and we need to change it. That's the thing, because I remember us talking about before that so many women struggle in silence with this because you were talking about some of the symptoms before and it can also include, you know, issues with going to the bathroom and then obviously, you know, psychological issues that impact from the symptoms you have. But then sometimes women can have no symptoms at all and it's picked up later down the line. So there's a really long diagnosis period as well, isn't there? Like yeah. a lag and it can sometimes take up to 10 years for women to be actually diagnosed with this. They believe one in 10 women have endometriosis. It takes seven to 10 years to diagnose Mm. still. And yes, some people can be absolutely riddled with endometrium throughout their abdomen and not feel any pain. Or someone can have one tiny little speck that a doctor can barely find and it can ruin their life. So it's a really difficult disease to treat because there is so many different and such a broad spectrum of symptoms and such a broad spectrum of pain that people go through. And we're still not sure exactly why we have it, where it comes from, and there's no cure. Um, We're still looking for a cure. There's barely enough to say that we've got proper treatment for it. Mm. And I know I've, I've, I've come across doctors that don't believe me when I'm in pain. I've been to many doctors that just say it's just a bad period. I've had really, really important medical specialists tell me to just have a baby because they have heard that it's a cure. It's not a cure, guys. It's not a cure. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's so ridiculous. The same amount of people have diabetes that have endometriosis. Oh, my goodness. And yet there is an incredible amount of treatment. We're almost curing diabetes and we still have to have a full operation to properly diagnose endometriosis. I remember writing a story about endo a few years ago and all the women, one of the big common denominators was people just tell me it's just bad period pain or do you think it could all be in my head or, you know, and it's that sense that you, friends and family and even medical specialists, you know, they don't necessarily understand or appreciate what you're going through and that can be really isolating, right? Absolutely. I've, I have thought that a lot. 
I pride myself in being quite tough and so I hate having to put up the white flag and say I can't do this I can't exercise today or I can't come and see my friend because I'm in so much pain and you try and explain that to people and doctors and they just sort of say take Panadol and Nurofen carry your hot water bottle have a nap try and exercise do some yoga Mm -hmm. eat gluten-free my word the amount of people that have said that it's because I'm gluten intolerant is ridiculous. Which isn't the case, Which by is the way. not the case. <laughs> um, and my sister is actually has uh, adenomyosis, polycystic ovaries and endo as well. And she's gone through the same thing. She, she sometimes, her pain is so bad that we have to pick her up off the floor to put her in bed. And she's studying psychology and she said that she's sort of done a lot of research based on that sort of thing. And the amount of women that are so heavily depressed, anxious and feel helpless because they have no one to listen to and it's not tangible. You can't sit there and, like, see the red mark on your arm and go, see, I've got it. You can't see it and that's the hardest bit. Mm. I think there's definitely a, I guess, a relief in a way that comes with a sense of community around it, I think, because you often struggle in silence and then all it takes, I remember doing this story and telling colleagues about it and my friend at work said, oh, yeah, I have that. And a couple of friends at home went, oh, yeah, I was diagnosed with that. And I was like, I can't believe we've never, I didn't know that about you. And we were talking before about there being a diagnosis that a few women on the Home and Away cast have as well. And how important is that sense of community for you? Absolutely. It's really heartwarming to be able to come into work when I'm in such bad pain or carrying a hot water bottle. And those who know I have it or also have it will just go, oh, I'm sorry, you're having a bad day. Can I get you something? Can I help you? Have you tried this doctor? Have you? Because at least that gives you a hope of something. And yes, you don't feel alone. You can sit in the makeup chair and go, I am in really bad pain or my costume's not going to fit today because I am so bloated. I go, I understand. I've tried this or why don't you leave the zip undone when the takes are on your cam- on, on you sort of thing. You know, it's makes you feel a lot less alone. Yeah. And I will say for those of you listening, Sophie's a trooper and sitting here with a hot water bottle right now. (laughs) Yeah, I am. And yeah, legend on a very big day as well. (laughs) So what kind of things do you find? I guess you've had your surgery now and you were saying that your symptoms have been improved a bit since Mm -hmm. then. But what kind of strategies have you found have helped you over the years manage pain, manage that, you know, whether it's psychologically and physically? I do a few things. Uh, I try to stay away from inflammatory foods. So I try and stay away from gluten, dairy, a lot of sugar. I love alcohol, but I try and not drink very often. And caffeine, especially when I know I'm going to get pain or am in pain because that can make it a lot worse. I exercise very regularly because not only does the stretching of your muscles actually help, I get really bad hip pain as a part of my endo and I need to stretch them and and, um, get them moving. Um, But also when you spike your heart rate really high, it is a very good analgesic. So I try and do really high cardio at least three times a week to manage my pain. I carry a a hot water bottle or a heat pack almost everywhere I go. I have one in the car. I have one at home. I have one at work. My boyfriend also has one at his home to make sure that I'm covered in all bases. Got your endo kit sort of shit. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Panadol and Nurofen I carry everywhere. I've also had to start carrying my heavier pain medication if need be. I've had to give up on tight clothing. (laughs) I I did that about (laughs) July last year. I went into Zara and just went, I've got to buy some clothing that's more comfortable because there is nothing more defeating when you 
feel like you're working really hard to feel fit and strong and then you put on your good jeans and they don't go past mid-thigh. Yeah. And you know that that's nothing to do that's nothing to do with my bad eating habits. That's just I'm I'm swollen today. And I'm talking swelling like people have mistaken me for being pregnant swelling. Mm. You and it's not and it, I can't get rid of it no matter what I take, what I drink, what I nothing. It just it sits there. It's called an endo flare and you just have to ride it out. I just write it out. So I have to wear baggy clothing and have comfortable clothing on hand to make sure that I can get into that when I need to. Yeah. Um, so what would be like, I guess, for women listening who are struggling with endo, what would be your top tip or top piece of advice? What would you want to say to them? Don't give up until you find a doctor that believes you and will be there for you. And if you feel like you might have endometriosis and people have been saying it's all in your head, but you really do think it, find yourself a gynecologist that specialises in endometriosis and do not rest until they test for everything or even go in for your surgery if if that's necessary because you need to be believed yeah. and they can help you. And you're not alone. And yeah. There are lots of women going through this. You mentioned obviously about exercise being really helpful for you and I know fitness is a huge part of your life. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about your typical week, if there is one, the kind of exercises you do? Yeah, sure. I exercise five times a week or I try to. Um, I believe Sunday has to be a day of rest. The day of rest. (laughs) (laughs) Sunday is your day of rest. And normally throughout the week, there will be a day when I'm on set and I've left too early and come home too late for a gym to be open. So that you just, you have to give up there. And once, (laughs) once you've had your makeup put on, you can't leave halfway through the day and come back because I sweat like, uh, uh, anything uh, you've never seen like you've never seen so there is no way that I can exercise halfway through a work day I'm like that without exercising I swear to God. <laughs> especially in just Australia just walking into this building I think it's oh, yeah man. especially being over here I'm like the humidity is real like, yeah. <laughs> my friends joke about how much I sweat like <laughs> honestly it's obscene so yep I would exercise five times a week I do a couple of different things I work very closely with personal trainers Chief and Emily Brabourne Hames mm. and they are have been my biggest saviors moving to Sydney they are the most incredible people but also the coolest trainers they work me till I'm crying on the ground and I love it I love that we do a mix of strength and really high intense cardio work Um, they constantly keep me entertained I'm constantly pushing for a new goal um, and they're heaps of fun so I work with them a couple of times a week I also have been going to a place called Hustle Boxing, um, which I've seen Women's Health have gone to, and I love it. It's like going to a disco with boxing gloves on in the dark so no one can see how uncoordinated you are, but you're following these screens where these people are doing boxing and you do some um, body weight work and small weight work, and it's so much fun. keeps your heart rate up. Um, the music the best, is awesome. Yeah. Boxing is the best. If you're frustrated, off you go. <laughs> and then I also do I my own set of I love lifting heavy. I do a lot of heavyweight work and I run and I do other kickboxing classes. So I do a couple of boxing classes, a couple of things on my own, Chief and M's, depending on what times I have available. That would be me. Are you a beach baby? Obviously filming at Summer Bay. Do you I swim and surf and things? And I wish I could say I surf. I really <laughs> do, but I can't. I'm too uncoordinated. But I go to the be- I go to the beach every waking moment that I possibly can. I live in Bondi. I'm down there all the time. It is like a soul reset. Yes. Yeah. So nice. At the end of it, like a long day and busy day and stuff as oh. well, like just to heaven, yeah. Or if you are starting work slightly later, 
starting the day by jumping in the ocean is the best feeling. Nice. Yeah. And I know you played sport at school because you were telling me before you were an active kid. You've always been that way. And so you used to row, is that yeah. right? The main thing that you did? Yeah, I was a rower for about 10 years, I think. It's the best sport on the planet. Any chance you have, get in a boat and have a go. I would still be doing it if uh, my job allowed. But I rode at school. I had the best coaches. I rode with all my friends. It was the hardest sport ever, but that's why I loved it. It was You felt so accomplished by finishing a camp or a session or a race or all of the above. And it was it was strength-based. You, you, as a teenage girl, when you're sort of starting to worry about maybe what you look like or what boys think of you or how you fit in, I knew where I fit. I wanted to be as strong as I possibly could to be as fast as I possibly could. And that was so fantastic for me as a kid. And as a rower, you wake up at 4.30 to go in the water because the water is calmest in the morning. So I very quickly had to learn discipline of going to bed, getting my homework done, eating well, sleeping properly, and just learning how to get into that routine. And I think that's really helped me throughout my life. Oh, yeah. Being able to have a plan and stick to it or sacrifice for something that you want um, because I had to do it since the beginning of time. <laughs> I remember you saying as well, I guess any parents listening will will feel this, that your mum and dad were ultimate, you know, up to take you there, up to pick you up at night. You oh, know, my goodness. Real commitment there. My mother is an angel. I still, and we, we laugh about it now, she used to get up at 4.30 with us, drag me out of bed. She would have had all our uniforms done. We've had our lunches done. She's put Hannah and I in the car, we've gotten to rowing. She would then do the rowing breakfast for us to come off the water and eat like a giant man. Like I would eat, <laughs> I can't express to you how much I used to eat. It was a joke. I ate 26 sweet beaks in one sitting for an eating competition once. Oh my God. Like, I know, okay, for ridiculous. an eating competition? Yeah, it was for a competition. That was not a daily <laughs> did you occurrence. Win? Yes. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, But we, uh, so she used to cook for us all. Then she would go and work. She, she's a drug and alcohol nurse. She'd work oh, all wow. day and then come and pick us up from our training at night, get us home, Eat, we'd eat like monsters again and do it all again every day. And she's like, I, can't, I, I don't know how I did that. I don't yeah. know how I did it for so long. I don't know how oh, I was awake for amazing. that long. Yeah. <laughs> it's something we focus on a lot at Women's Health. We have our Women in Sport campaign. And obviously I feel like at the moment there's so many incredible female athletes for young girls to be watching and to aspire to be like and get inspired by. You know, that must be something as a sports, you know, growing up doing sports, you must love. Yeah, there are so many athletes that I love. I was going to, I was thinking about this today and I saw it pop up on my Instagram. Charlotte Kaslick, she's a sevens player. She is two years younger than me and she went to a school in Brisbane and I remember her being such a fantastic sportswoman at all of our competitions. I remember she was phenomenal. She was so fast and now I get to watch her as an Olympian. That's just incredible. That's incredible. I've also had girls that I used to row against go to the Olympics and or go to nationals and world championships and watch them. And I remember sitting next to them in a boat going, you are twice the height of me. But my <laughs> word, am I going to try and beat you? Like, you know, I can, I, I rem- and they're now just incredible women that have achieved so much. And not only are they, are they incredible sports women, but they're incredible business women or medical professionals or anything else. And that's just so cool. That's, That's so awesome cool. as well, actually, because we were talking about this the other day. We've, we're talking about AFL players like Daisy Pierce, who's oh. also a midwife, as well as being an AFL player. And that's something I think a lot of the female athletes have, which is so incredible. 
but also I guess highlights the challenges of being a professional sportswoman is that they have these other careers alongside playing. Absolutely. And that is really hard. But I mean, it also just suggests how much cooler women are. How much badass is we? How, are. We are so <laughs> badass to be to have to do that. And we and we do. Actually, one of my really close girlfriends is named Lisa Marsden and she is an ice skater and has been for her entire life. She is also works in business and I have countless times seen at 11.30 at night she is on the ice rink doing work with her skates on, like skates on, photo of her doing work and her skates on because wow. she has to. And she that's the dedication, that that's the level of dedication that all of these women have. It's amazing. If there was one thing that you would want to see in, in terms of endometriosis in the future, a sort of change in, I guess, how it's viewed in society, what would you love the future to look like? I would like to get rid of some of the stigmas to do with any female reproductive issues. Mm. You know, it's still it's still hard to come on set with a hot water bottle and people make comments about, are you riding the crimson wave or why are you carrying that water bottle? Mm. And for women, we just go, I'm on my period. But for... People that don't necessarily, there are a lot of people that are uncomfortable by that. That just has to end. 50% of the population have a period. We also carry your children. We need to get over that. Yeah, get over that. We need to get over that and move forward. I think we need to, as women and as a society, band together and really knuckle down on some of these health issues that women have that have been ignored for so long. Things like not necessarily talking about fertility issues because it's uncomfortable or um, endometriosis or polycystic ovaries or adenomyosis, which are just as common, if not more, than endometriosis that just haven't been covered yet, haven't been discovered yet. We need to work on that. I think I heard something that endometriosis hasn't necessarily been tackled yet because it's not deadly essentially. It's it's benign. It, uh, they're benign growths. They're not cancerous, but that's just ridiculous. Mm. There are so many people in pain and unable to work and unable to have families. That struggle in silence that it's just done. We need to raise more awareness. We need to be more comfortable talking about these issues in public and we need to get more people behind it to find a cure. Sophie Dillman, you are a legend. Thank you so, so much. And thanks for sharing your story with us. And we'll put some links to resources and things in the show notes. And yeah, let's go March, Endometriosis Awareness Month. Yeah, let's get Absolutely. on it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Uninterrupted. You can find heaps of information about endometriosis online at great resources such as endometriosisaustralia.org and genehales.org.au. It can also be good to chat to a GP specialising in women's health. One of the main things experts want us to know is that we don't have to put up with period pain. If yours is stopping you from going to school or work or just living your life, ask for help. There is support out there for you. For more from us, check out the latest Women's Health magazine and womenshealth.com.au. And please give us a virtual hug by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review. We always love to hear from you. Until next time, bye. The health advice contained in this episode is of a general nature. If you're concerned about any issues, see a health professional. If you feel affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, help is available. Call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or beyondblue.org.au and the Butterfly Foundation at thebutterflyfoundation.org.au.